So our family has been uh, watching Dark on Netflix, and I'm not giving too much away that you don't find out too soon in the series, but it's essentially about time travel and characters pop in and out of the future and the past, and oftentimes they run into uh, older or younger versions of themselves trying to um, change events so that something in the future that they know is going to happen will change. It's, it's this pursuit of changing the future. And had I lived in Wyndon, um, which is a little small town that um, the show takes place in, I would have um, gone back in time uh, to July 20th of this year and desperately tried to stop my younger self from putting his name by the text uh, that is this week's text, 1 John 2, 28 through 3.10. I opened it uh, this week, and I thought, surely I didn't pick this text, because this is not a text I would ever willfully pick. But sure enough, I did. And I even had other options, but for some reason, this is the text that I chose. And I wondered, maybe I was seduced by the first five verses. And dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is, just as he is pure. And I likely just read that and thought, oh, this is a good text. Let's put my name there. Because I can get behind that. Continue in him. Okay. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Yeah, I can give me some of that. Know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. It seems pretty sweet. We get an upgrade from our WWJD bracelet to WWID. What would I do? Because we're like him. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. It's it a little sketch there, but the other stuff is great. That stuff will preach. But for me, it's there that it begins to go off the rails. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Okay, I got it. The everyone that sins bit gets a little preachy and has a little bit different tone than the first five verses. But I can get behind the he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. But then no one who lives in him keeps sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And I think back to the last three or four or five minutes and I'm like, nope, I am not the one for this sermon. Those are pretty judgmental. Those are pretty condemning words. And it just gets worse. 
Dear children, do not be led astray. Okay. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous sometimes. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And I begin to wonder, am I from the devil then? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They can't go on sinning because they have been born of God. What? I mean, this is completely unreasonable, Mr. First John. I can't do that. I'm likely to sin again. But thankfully, he clears it all up. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does what who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. And at, it's at this point that I'm wishing that last night's Ben could travel to the future to tell right now, Ben, that he's sorry, because the sermon up to this point doesn't leave room for either of us, Ben's, to untangle this mess. Because it does feel like a mess. Whoever wrote First John, uh, they call him the elder. It has the John theme, but there's no actual identification. Whoever wrote this says things that are hard for modern sensibilities. There are lines that are drawn in the sand. There are statements that feel impossible to live up to. And trying to navigate all of this mess um, is just that. It's messy. It's important to note that this community who receives this letter from Mr. First John, they're a mess themselves. They're divisions among them. They themselves have drawn lines in the sand against one another. They have had lines drawn in the sand against them. And most significantly, there's disruption because some in the Christian community have denied that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the incarnate son of God. There has been no small amount of tension and conflict and hurt and mess between them. And this is not the which of you drank the grape juice in the fridge that was meant for communion kind of controversy. This is not petty arguments about which ministry deserves the most resources. This is a disruption that's caused by arguments concerning the very nature of the one they follow, Jesus Christ. Is he the son of God? Is he God in the flesh? And the other who, who writes this letter, his fundamental interest, his fundamental interest is not clearly delineating between who is in and who is out, saved and unsaved. The fundamental interest of the elder is not delineating between who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. The elder's fundamental interest is reminding the Christian community who it is that they follow. And this is really important, I think, um, with a text that's messy like this. Because to this day, too many of the scriptures, this one in particular, that were written to Christians, reminding them who they were called to be as Christians, are instead used by Christians as a weapon for how their neighbors or the world around them are going to hell. 
But 1 John is not an indictment of the world. It is an indictment of the church. Because Christians had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten who they were called to follow. You, he says, are children of God. A God whose fullest, most clear, most poignant manifestation is found in this person named Jesus Christ. Do you want to know who God is? You look to Jesus. End of story. Everything else is secondary. Everything. That is who you belong to. And the problem, the one that Christians are drawn to, both from the church that the elder writes to in 1 John and the church of today, the problem is that our attention, our allegiance, our interests are often placed in the cosmos, in the world, and not in Christ. Cosmos is that Greek word that's translated um, most typically in the New Testament as world. And it's translated here. The reason the world, the cosmos, does not know us is that it did not know him. The world that the elder speaks of, this cosmos, is not non-Christians. It's not the world, some sort of immorality that lives outside of us. It's not the latest controversy on Netflix. This world, it's also not the created order. Christians often use this term, worldly, right, to point to a violation of purity codes. Don't be worldly. Don't be immoral. Worldly is primarily an indication that someone has violated our Puritan sensibilities. But the cosmos, as Walter Wink, as a theologian points, argues, the cosmos that, that the elder is pointing to here are the powers and the principalities of domination, the powers and principalities of destruction and oppression, alienation, the powers and principalities of othering, the powers and principalities of death. This is the world. This is the cosmos that does not know God. The elder is not talking about people out there somewhere, pagans who do not know God. The elder is talking about the life-taking, life-destroying, life-choking powers and principalities that are constantly vying for our attention. And this, this is the world that Jesus frees us from. This is the world that we are no longer held captive to as children of God. So as the elder reminds these Christians that they are children of God, he is not saying that they should feel good about themselves, especially in light of those children of the devil that are running around keeping their subscription Netflix. The elder is reminding them that they are children of God to orient them back to the way that was initiated in the person of Jesus, a way that doesn't give life, doesn't take life, but gives it. A way that doesn't destroy, but builds up. A way that doesn't alienate or others, but welcomes all. It is a way that doesn't oppress, but frees the captive and cares for the marginalized. It's a way that's not defined by hate, but defined by love. I don't think that the elder's primary interest is separating the goats from the sheep. I really don't. The fundamental message that can get lost in an admittedly really hard and confusing don't ever sin language, 
The fundamental message is this. You are children of God. You do not belong to the powers and principalities of oppression and death. You belong to the way of Jesus, the one who destroys that world, the one who destroys that cosmos, the one who frees us to live a different way. So let's share uh, in a little bit of conversation. Uh, and, And I want us to wrestle with this question. In what ways have you felt or seen the tension between these two worlds? Um, how are the powers and principalities still vying for our attention? And in what ways is the way of Jesus calling us out of that world to live a different way? Um, and I want to challenge us in the spirit of First John to not fall into the temptation to talk about other people out there. Um, these words are written to and about us, not about others. So in what ways do we experience this pull towards the um, powers and principalities of the world um, versus the way of Jesus as children of God. Go ahead and type your name in the in the chat, and we'll uh, um, see where this takes us. Daryl, my friend. Yeah, I, I guess. Uh, thank you for slapping me upside the face here, uh, Ben. That's sweet of you. Uh, this uh, the self righteousness that we experience, that I experience, you know, I I can get really angry and really upset with those folks out there who are just being so ugly to everybody else and how dare they. And I I just want to get in their face and tell them a thing or two. Um, And then I realize that's kind of how I'm acting right now, isn't it? Um, So it's, I, I guess with John, the thing with the elder that just really amazes me it, is how much that entire letter keeps on talking about loving one another. And I think that's the command that we see throughout that entire letter is love one another. And yet it's so easy to assume that slapping someone around, telling them truth is somehow loving when maybe that's not loving so thanks daryl that's great stuff jan um i feel like uh it's easy to um be selfish in general um and to think about uh, myself and my comfort and my convenience before I think about others. Um, And then you add uh, the coronavirus on top of that. And it's like giving me permission to like, you know, like I can't, you know, I can't, you know, I can't care about others, you know, (laughs) right now. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I just feel like, yeah, it's it's a challenge. Um, sorry, it's a challenge for me to, yeah, um, consider others and and figure out how I can still be intentional and try to put others first. Thanks, Ben. 
Uh, Duncan? Okay, it was hard for me to get for a second. Um, I think for me, it's the, the othering of people who disagree with me. Um, I think this we got a chance to have conversations with people who have a distinctly different worldview than me um, that I love. Uh, and it reminds you that people who don't agree with you are people, right? Um, but it's easy to get caught up in my own echo chamber of people who, um, if not uh, if not agree with me, think like me. Um, and it was just good uh, to come into contact with my my tendency to make other people who who don't agree with me into uh, caricatures of who they really are. Man, that's really well said. Um, yeah. Speaking for me there. And it's, it's interesting. I, w- I don't want to steal Charles's thunder for uh, next week. Um, but after this sort of big cosmic uh, articulation, children of God, children of devil, like the, the admonition, almost the working out of the reality of what it means to be children of God is love one another. Like that's the next section. Love your brothers and sisters, love one another. Um, like this is how it gets worked out. Anyone else? So one of the things um, uh, that that is a bit of a comfort for me uh, in this passage that can feel uh, pretty pretty rigid and black and white and lines drawn in the sand, um, one of the things that's a bit of a comfort is the line that immediately follows the declaration that we are children of God. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. It stands somewhat in contrast to the uh, perfection never sinning verses, as it points to the fact that we haven't yet arrived. The fullness of who we are to be will only be revealed when Christ returns and all things are made right. And even though we don't know what that fullness is, we know what God has in mind, as Jesus himself is our future. If we want to know where things are headed, if we want to know that to which we are called, who do we look to? The church answer that we always give is actually the right answer here. It's Jesus. And this is both wonderful and terrifying news. Wonderful, because when we're pretty sure that we're not enough, Christ reminds us 
that as beloved children of God, we are enough. And and when we're at our worst, Christ reminds us, as beloved children of God, there is nothing that we can do to ever separate us from God's love. And when we fall victim to the powers and principalities that seek to destroy our hearts and our well-being, it is Christ who brings healing and new life. But it's also terrifying. Terrifying because the comforts and the allure of the powers and principalities of the world, the cosmos, they are intriguing. And they are seductive. And they are subversive. And they are hard to break free from. Letting go of our allegiances that we've known for so long and sharing in the liberating, all-welcoming, peaceable kingdom of God will uncover things about ourselves that we probably prefer to stay hidden. But this is the great love of God. The great love of God that has been lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, set free from the powers and principalities of this world, set free to embrace a life of radical love, justice, and mercy, hope, and welcome. Until all things are made right, this is the way that we belong to. Uh, Let's pray together. Holy, uh, gracious, all-merciful, all-loving God, may you hold us this day Um, May we hear um, your words uh, spoken to us that we are your children, deeply beloved and enough. God, for the ways that we continue to be um, held captive by or committed to the powers and principalities of this world, um, we ask for um, you to free us once more uh, into your way. Uh, For the ways, God, that we don't want to give up uh, the comforts um, or the false sense of security that the commitment to powers and principalities bring, uh, give us the courage uh, to step into uh, the way of your son and the way of love and justice. May we find um, small moments, God, in a world that seems um, unhinged uh, to be your people. Uh, to be signposts uh, of your kingdom and your love and your goodness breaking into the world. And we pray these things through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Can I share something right quick? Abs- absolutely. Well, Ben, it made me think of, um, I don't know, this just came to me, but... Um, of the way God loves us. I remember uh, Brittany was about in the seventh grade, and I remember exactly where we were when we were on the porch, and I don't know what she did because she was very strong-willed. And I looked at her, and I said, you can never, ever do anything to make me stop loving you. And she stopped, and she looked at me, and she said, nothing, nothing. And I said, nothing. And I said, you might disappoint me, but I'll never stop loving you. And I think that was a kind of an aha moment for her 
Um, and that's the way God is. There's nothing that we can ever do that will make him stop loving us. You preached, Terry. Thanks.